0: So just start a story with you real quick before we get started, kind of appropriate. So when I was a kid, my dad actually, my father, uh, he took this three-quarter inch piece of plywood and he took a jigsaw and he cut out a paddle for my mom. Now it was really for us boys, but it was for my mom. And he, you know, kind of sanded it down, put a little, you know, two-sided tape on it. You know, drilled a little hole, put a put a shoelace through it, hung it on a on a on a hook, like right by the refrigerator, because the kitchen in her house was generally towards the center of the house. So no matter where us boys were messing up, my mom could just come through the house and grab that thing without breaking stride. Well, one day, I was probably about nine or ten years old. And uh, it was in the winter, and my brother and I, we were only a couple houses up. We were just up there playing with, with one of the other kids. And now, back then, when your mom, like, threw the window open and yelled her name, or, or opened the door and yelled your name, like, you're next, like, you were moving. And that was the day I lost my mind. So she calls, my brother goes, I don't. Like, she was real benevolent that she. She actually sent my brother back up. Like, I got chance number two to fail, and, and I did. So the next thing, you know, well, like wasn't long before there was mom in the paddle. And, I mean, she's just wailing me down the street, man. You know? And, and oh, by the way, back then, like, you didn't run ahead and get out of arms. Because like, she would stop, and, and you would go back, you know? And you just, you would, you would get the ones you missed, plus interest, And then you'd wait till, okay, now you can go again. And just like down the street. Well, we're going down the street. And at one point, man, she snaps that thing off on my backside. She's swinging nothing but a handle. And we get in the house. And of course, I'm upset because like my backside is like three shades of red at this point. And she's upset because I just broke her paddle. The funny part of the story is, so we had this older couple, retired couple, lived across the street from us, uh, the Kingsleys. Well, old Mr. Kingsley comes up and he knocks on the door, and he just wants to tell my mother how proud of her that he is, that she was instilling discipline in her kids. Now, I, I don't tell that story like to, to, to trivialize you know, abuse or anything like that. I mean, you know, spanking was just normal when I grew up as a kid. But the thing we gotta understand is, even though like, back then like, my mom got a standing ovation from the neighborhood, and, and you wouldn't today, it didn't change the fact that when I was disobedient to my mom, that was sinful. Like, like, like people's opinion on the merits of spanking or the merits of discipline doesn't change or didn't change my sinfulness in, in disobeying my mom. And Paul is going to address the same subject today, although instead of not following your mom, he's going to address it in, in, the, uh, in, in the context of sexual sin. And as we look at the church in Corinth at, at the time, I mean, sexual sin was a cultural thing. It was a pattern in life. And, and I think as we look at, at our culture now, we're going to see a similar thing. We're going to see a similar pattern, a similar culture. And a lot of times when we start talking about, you know, sexual sin and you know, these, these, these topics like pornography and adultery and all, a lot of times we kind of go initially to, well, it's a guy thing. And, and that's just not true anymore that's simply not true. As a matter of fact, if you look at studies, you look at the research, for instance, uh, one in five married men will admit to having committed adultery outside of marriage. One in six women, married women, will admit the same thing. As a matter of fact, the number of women who are admitting that is actually going up. That percentage is increasing, almost normalizing with, not normalizing, excuse me, coming, coming closer to men. Two out of three men will admit in surveys that they go online and view pornography one or more times a month. 40% of women will admit in a survey that they participate in some type of online sexual activity. Now. It, studies for teenagers in, this, you know, th- in, in sexting, which is se- sending or receiving explicit images or messages, it, they're, they're generally unreliable because, quite frankly, teenagers telling you what they did is unreliable. But the numbers are, are rather staggering of the number of kids who are sending sexting messages or receiving sexting messages. So th- this applies to all ge- both genders of all ages. As a matter of fact, there's studies that show that people self-report, both men and women will self-report adultery into their 70s and 80s. Okay, 40% of teenagers, and I got this 15 to, to 19, I, I understand that 18 to 19 you're an adult, but generally the, 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 the studies show this is still outside of marriage. 40% will report in a survey that they're sexually active with at least one partner and a quarter of those say they have up to four partners. So no one is immune from this temptation. No one is immune from this problem. It, it applies to everyone. Now, if, if, you're a, if you're a young person in here, if you're a teenager, preteen, when your parents say, well, I'm going to check your phone, okay, that's not, that's not harassment. Okay, when your parents say, we're going to look at all your social media accounts and we're just going to check them and see what's on there, that's not making you uncomfortable. That's done out of love. When when we stand up here and we preach difficult topics and and biblical truths about sexuality and sex, that's because the text demands it because it's a problem. We are constantly bombarded with sex. We're constantly bombarded with sexual images. You have to be incredibly careful about what TV shows and what stations you watch. You have to be very careful about what websites you visit because we're constantly bombarded. And, and, and the truth is, especially for, for teens and young adults, you could easily, if we're you're, if you're not careful, you can easily find yourself in a situation where you don't know how to get out of it. Or maybe you're, you're to a point where you can't get out of it you know, where you're at. A situation where you could get hurt physically, sexually, emotionally, relationally. Where you could hurt your relationship with God. So, so it is important for us to address these difficult topics in a responsible way and understand exactly what it is that God is telling us about them. And Paul does this here in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12 to 20. And what we're going to talk about today is, is breaking apart all the lies and seeing God's truth about what he says on this subject. So let's read what Paul has to say here. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Now when we talk about the, the, the book of 1 Corinthians, we, we use the term a normative letter. And although, what we mean by that is although Paul is addressing some specific incidents and specific situations that are occurring at the church in Corinth at the time, the principles that Paul provides are timeless. They apply to all people in all times and all places. And we're going to see four truths in Paul's writing here that we just read that will help us understand God's, God's principles for, for the idea of sex. The first one we're going to see is that popular beliefs and slogans deceive us and lead us away from God's truth. And we see that in verses 12 to 14. And what Paul writes there, again, is all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord, and it will also raise us up by his power. Now what Paul does here is he takes these two Corinthian slogans. The first one is, all things are lawful for me. And the second one is, food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. And, and he, in the first case, he corrects it. He doesn't re- reject or refute the, the, the slogan that all things are law for me. He corrects it and makes a clarification. We'll see in a moment that he actually rejects the second one about the stomach. Because what's happening is the Corinthians are using these slogans as an excuse to try and make an analogy that basically all sex, all the time, anyway, wherever, with whoever is okay for me. And, and, and Paul's trying to make a correction on that. And, and the way he does that is, is you read in there, he actually has this little kind of, he, he develops this little back and forth dialogue, you know, where, where the Corinthians would say, all things are lawful for me, and Paul would say, yeah, but it's not all beneficial. And he has the conversation again, all things are lawful for me, yeah, but, excuse me, but, but, not, but I won't let anything dominate me. Because the truth is, Just like popular beliefs about whether spanking is okay or not doesn't change my sinfulness in disobeying my mom, in the same way popular beliefs about sex and sexual activity doesn't change God's truth or his intent for sex to be within the boundaries of a marriage between one man and one woman, and when sexual activity is outside that boundary, it's sinful. It's it's just a truth. And we have to understand that. Paul's leading us to that. The problem is we still have example after example after example of the world trying to tell us differently, trying to hide the truth about sex among a series of lies. Now, you're in for a treat today because this is the first and probably only time you'll ever hear me quote Cicero in a sermon. And if you don't know who Cicero is, Cicero was a, he was a Roman, he was a lawyer, a lawmaker, a philosopher. He, he died probably about a hundred, 95 to 100 years before Paul wrote this letter. So, so Cicero's thinking was still current thought in that region of the world. And here's what, here's what Cicero wrote. He said, however, if there's anyone who thinks that the youth should be fit, forbidden affairs, even with courtesans, courtesans are prostitutes, he is doubtless eminently austere. Basically, he's saying he's an idiot. But his view is contrary not only to the license of this age, but also to the custom and the concession of our ancestors. For when was, it, when was it not a common practice? When was it blamed? When was it forbidden? When, in fact, was it that what is allowed was not allowed? Now, again, this is, this is a lawyer. This is a guy who makes laws. And, he, and basically, he's trying to make the case that, you know what? Everything's good. Everything's on the table. Nothing's off limits. Matter of fact, he's saying, prove to me and I'm a lawyer. Prove to me that it's not okay. We have the same problem today. As a matter of fact, j- within the last two weeks, uh, a member of the U.S. House of Representatives institu- in, uh, introduced legislation, uh, founded or based upon uh, criminal justice reform, and within this, this this representative's legislation was a call to legalize prostitution nationwide. Now let's think about that for half a second. Okay, Prostitution, one of the leading causes of human trafficking and sexual exploitation of children and of women, and we think it's a good idea to make that legal across the land. That's insane. That's absolutely insane. It's not just pop culture. I mean, we do, and rightfully so. You know, we have, a, we have a lot of things to say about the entertainment industry, whether it's film or music or whatever, and, 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 and some of the, the values that are coming out of there and how they're corrupting our whole culture. And, and that's well earned. But I mean, we're talking about members of, of, of Congress who are, who are bringing these same items, these same ideas forward, trying to normalize it, trying to cloud the destruction that comes with it into something called you know, criminal justice reform. So, so again, what Paul does, he, kinda, he, he develops this back and forth uh, with himself using the Corinthian slogan and his response to it. And again, in the first one, he doesn't reject the slogan that all things are lawful for me. He just makes a correction. He clarifies it. He, he kind of brings it into a, a right, better focus to say, well, while there are things that are lawful, okay, there are limits, there are limits, and they, they be, generally revolve around what's beneficial and those things that might dominate us. I'll give you an example. When he says, all things are lawful for me, but, but not all things are beneficial. Look, nobody, nobody prosecutes adultery. Nobody's charged and brought to court over adultery in the United States these days. But that doesn't change the destruction that happens from it, to relationships, to families, to people, to trust, you know pornography. Now, rightfully so, we do prosecute child pornography and we, the exploitation that comes from that. But, but sadly, you know, uh, if it involves adults, nobody's prosecuting that. How, how beneficial is that? When, when we think about the results of pornography and how it changes and warps our, va- our values and our understandings of things like relationships, That relationships become disposable. You know, it it, it literally takes us to a point where we have unhealthy fantasies and unhealthy understandings of what sex is and what relationships are. There's there's nothing beneficial about that, and that's Paul's point. It might be legal, but it's not beneficial at all. That's what he's trying to explain. And, And then he brings the next, so then he comes back and has the other argument, all things are legal for me, but I won't let anything dominate me. So, some of you may know my wife, Dee, and I, uh, several years ago, we led a ministry called East to West Ministries over in, in Leavenworth, and that ministry was, was, was um, f- primarily for um, folks on parole, and in, in that ministry, we, we dealt primarily with uh, guys who were out on parole who were either violent offenders or sexual offenders, and every single one of them would tell you, almost every chance they got, I ain't going back. I will do anything not to go back. Now, now understand, when you're on parole, that's just just part of your sentence. You're still under the custodial care of the Department of Corrections, in that case in the state of Kansas, and you have conditions on your release. Well, this guy, it's like I said, all these guys, to a a man, would say, I'm not going back, I'm not doing anything to go back. Well, I'm, I'm just, I'm sitting and I'm working with one guy one day and I'm talking to him, and he looks at me and he goes, John, I just love porn dude, did you just hear what came out of your mouth? I mean, you're sitting here saying, I won't go back, but, but you love and won't give up the one thing, one of the things that's going to send you back, one of the things that sent you there in the first place. It, it, it's, it dominated his life. It dominated his life to the point that even though he had to go down to the parole office every week for aftercare and training and a check-in and he knew all the rules, he was still willing to let it dominate him to the point where he was violated and went back. Paul's saying it's ridiculous. It's insane. It doesn't matter if it's lawful. It's, it's dominating your life. And then he moves on to a second slogan. The slogan of food is meant for the stomach and, meant, and, 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 and the stomach for food. And, and really what the Corinthians were trying to say there was, hey, look, I can do whatever I want with the body. It's an analogy of the body's for sex and sex for the body, and that's all that, ma- that's all that matters. What, what Paul does is he identifies not only a theological misunderstanding, you know, that, no, you can't do whatever you want with your body. He also identifies uh, a misunderstanding amongst the Corinthians in, like, our eternal bodies. Because Greek thought at the time would say that the body and the soul are completely different. The body has absolutely nothing to do with your eternity. You can do what you want. It's basically going to be used up, and you won't need it anymore. So, you know, basically, you know, ride it into the grave smoking. And, and what Paul's saying is, not only are you completely misunderstanding God's teaching on sex, you're completely misunderstanding God's teaching on how you take care of the body and the gift of a body itself. Paul's saying, you've got it completely wrong. And, and, and the way he does it, which is really brilliant, is he points to Jesus coming back. I mean, if you look in verse 14, where he talks about, you know, that, 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 that God lifted up Jesus. You know, Jesus was resurrected and came back and he's gonna come back and he's lift us up with his power as well. And so what Paul is basically saying is, you've got this huge gift right here. You've got an eternity with Jesus in a perfect body and you guys are looking for pleasure and and joy down here in this small, incredibly temporary thing. Quit thinking so small and, and look up what's already been done for you. That's his point. And so if that truth is accurate, and it is, then that leads us to our second understanding, our second truth, which is that a lifestyle of sexual sin is incompatible with a lifestyle devoted to Jesus Christ. And we see that in verses 15 through 17. We'll read that real quick here together. Paul writes, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. See, in here, Paul now starts to talk about our oneness with Christ. He starts to talk about oneness with each other and our oneness with, as members of Christ's church. And he paints a rather graphic picture as he does it but what he does is he uses God's definition for marriage and God's picture of the union between one man and one woman in a marriage back from Genesis 2.24. So when Cicero said, hey, one was ever forgiven? Well, it was forgiven in Genesis 2.24. There's your answer. Paul goes back to the understanding of Corinthian culture, and we can go back to the understanding of our culture and how we look at sex in our culture, and he points us to our relationship with God to understand the truth about how God intended sexual activity and how God defines sexual immorality. Basically, what he's explaining is: look, God has spelled it out for us. It's right there in Genesis 2.24. You can't have it both ways. You can't sit here and say, well, you know, I've got my Christian life and then I've got my have sex any way I want life. The two of them don't mix. It makes no sense. It's almost like saying, hey, you know what? I follow God, but I'm not gonna do what he says. It's ridiculous. It doesn't make sense. And, and Paul does a great job. In, in his letter to the Ephesians, it really ties in real well here. And we're going to read at Ephesians 5, verses 3 and 4. Paul writes, But sexual immorality and impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking, which are out of place, but instead... Let there be thanksgiving. Now, when we talk about sinful lives, what we're talking about is those things that characterize us, those things that define us. We're not talking about every single time we might make a mistake. So, for instance, you know, Paul writes about being a swindler. Okay, well, if you kind of did something you shouldn't have done one time and maybe took advantage of that doesn't necessarily define you as a swindler. Defining you as a swindler is people go, hey, you know, John, oh, yeah, that dude's a swindler. It, like, that's the first reaction that, that, that characterizes who you are. Not that we've ever messed up or, or committed a single thing, sin. And that's completely correct. But here's what Paul's doing here when he says this in Ephesians 5. He's saying, you don't want to be defined by this. You don't want to be characterized by this. Don't even let it in. Don't even let it creep in. The best defense, the best protection we have against something starting to define and to dominate us is to not even start it, not letting it in at all. Now, one of the statements we have here at Fogg, and when we talk about our statements of belief, we've got 13 statements of belief, and one of them talks about the inerrancy or the lack of error in the Bible. We believe that the Bible is God's word, that God inspired certain men to write down his word for us so, we would understand it and that it contains absolutely no error whatsoever. Problem is, if we're not careful and we start to let our personal feelings, we start to let our preferences, we start to let convenience, we start to let the world and what the world tells us to kind of mix in there, then it really starts to distort and change the way we read and the way we understand God's Word. And, and sadly, we see it all around us. I mean, Especially in relation to sexual sin, there's entire denominations that have split over issues associated with sexual sin. There's entire churches who have split over the over issues associated with sexual sin. And the problem with that is we're no longer when we do that, we're no longer following God's word. we're following our own. We're no longer following Jesus, we're following us. It, this is not some kind of an intolerant, mean-spirited position. It's simply an obedience to God, an understanding of how God has laid this out in our best interests. That's the part we have to remember. This is in our best interests. It's it's allowing him to transform us so that we can follow him better. It's allowing him to strengthen us so we can withstand the attacks we're gonna have when we say, you know what, I'm not not going that way. I'm I'm swimming upstream on this one. So we can live a life that's pleasing to him and enjoy the blessings that come from a life very close to God. But it's also about avoiding the consequences and not suffering the consequences of trying to do it our own way. I think if we're all to be honest, it doesn't have to be sexual sin, there's probably some area in our life that every single one of us at one point has tried to do our own way and it didn't end real well. And that's the whole point here. And if we understand that to be true, that leads us to our third point. Paul tells us the truth that we should fear sexual sin. And we see that in, in, in verse 18. What Paul writes there is, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Now, we use the word fear there. And you might kind of look at it and go, all right, is, is that a little over the top, a little over dramatic? Are we, are we selling it too hard? Well, let's, let's think of the word flee for a second. That's the word Paul uses, flee. Nobody ever flees from something that's not dangerous. Every time somebody flees, it's in relation to something that's dangerous. Like we don't flee from a, like a restaurant with bad service. We just leave, you know? Now, if, if there was like a, a wild animal over here, I guarantee you it would be later, if no one gets hurt, it would be comical later to watch ourselves like jumping over the chairs and running through the baptistry to try and get away with it, get away from it. That's fleeing because there's an inherent danger with that. Every time we talk about the word flee, we say something bad is going to happen if we don't get away from this. As far as, like if there was an animal, like nobody in their right mind would come over to the baptistry and go, hey, what's going on there? I mean, that, that would be insane. We just don't mess around with those things that we should be fleeing from. And, and if we could go to the book of Proverbs, Solomon actually writes this really well. If we look in, in, in Proverbs 6, verse 27, what, what Solomon writes is, can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Of course, the answer is no. Solomon, and by the way, in this, in this section here, Solomon is specifically talking about adultery. He, in this whole section of, of, of chapter 6 uh, in Proverbs, he's specifically counseling about against adultery. And what he's doing, he's making a comparison of the foolishness and the danger of picking up fire and holding it to your chest with the foolishness and the danger of, of running into adultery. Now the truth is, as humans, we like to walk up to the line. Like, whatever the line is, we want to stand on it, you know? Like, right there. I mean, we, we didn't go over, but, man, we like that line. And, and it starts when we're kids. It starts with our kids. I mean, how many times have you done it or you've seen it or whatever, you get two kids, and one of them, just, he's just poking his brother or his sister. He's poking, right? And, and, and the other kid's, like, ah, right? And what do you say? Stop poking your sister. Okay. Not poking her. Not poking her. You know, like six inches from her face, right? And, and, and you've got more chaos, right? Because didn't poke her. Walked right up to the line, but didn't poke her. You know? We do the same thing. We, we do the same. Whatever the line is. When we talk about sexual sin, maybe it's, uh, maybe it's flirting. Maybe we start flirting with someone that's not our spouse. Or who has a spouse. Maybe it's dirty stories or, you know, making comments on someone's appearance that are inappropriate. Maybe they're inappropriate conversations or we just happen to have a chance meeting that maybe we shouldn't be having. You know, the, the world would tell us that this is all harmless fun, this is okay. But when we do that, we've already walked across that line. Go back to what Paul wrote in Ephesians 5. Let it not be even named among you. Matter of fact, some translations say don't even let there be a hint of it. You know, when, when you start flirting with someone, you know, when you start having those suggestive conversations and making those suggestive comments, you've already walked across the line. You've, you've let that be named among you. Hey, does, does, does John ever flirt? Oh, yeah, that dude flutes all the time. Or, or does John ever flirt? Yeah, I did see him that one time. Yeah, it could be, you know. And we're already walking down that path. You know, I talked about East to West Ministries one time. And these are, these, these are folks who all went to, these are convicted felons. Okay, not one of them. And, and several of them went into great detail of how they ended up in prison. Not one of them said, hey, you know, this one day I just decided to offend in this horrific manner. Every single one of them started with pornography. Every That was the gateway. And it just started to break down their inhibitions. They walked up to the line, because it, it was lawful. They walked up to the line, and they just kept walking. And, and that's, what, that's why we say we should fear it. You know, the second part of verse 18 talks about, excuse me, you know, sins inside the body and sins outside the body and sexual sins, the only one that sins against his own body. And there's a little debate among scholars about, you know, is that a Corinthian slogan? Is that Paul saying? Because it's nowhere else in scripture. It's not a a scriptural reference. You know what? Who said it? Who's saying it is? It's not the point. That doesn't matter. The, The point is, is that sexual sin harms us. It physically and emotionally harms us. That's a fact. Culture would tell us that sexual sin is harmless and it's just fun, but it's not. Because in addition to what these things do, what these sins do to our relationship with God and to our relationship with others, these harmless acts actually have a harmful physical and emotional effect on us. And I'm going to get a little scientific for a second here. So within the human body, Two of the hormones the body produces, one is called oxytocin and the other is called uh, vasopressin, excuse me. Oxytocin, oxytocin and vasopressin. Now, oxytocin is sometimes called the, the love hormone. It kinda, it's released when like, we hug or we, we give a little kiss to someone we have affection for. Um, among the things that it does, it regulates our social interaction with other people. It plays a role in our level of empathy, in our level of generosity, and in how we bond as humans. Now, vasopressin, it's primarily a medication. Okay, it numbs pain. Here's the, here's the deal. Even in something, again, called the world would call harmless, as looking at pornography or, or sexting, it, those two are released together, and when they come together in the body, we come together in the brain, they become four times more powerful than morphine. And what that does is it literally starts to rewire your brain if you're engaged in sexual activity outside of marriage, okay? Because what you do, is it basically, you know, it, it shoots this volt, again, it's like four times as, as powerful as morphine and in, in you're your, your sexting or you're uh, viewing pornography or an adulterous relationship, it starts to numb, that word we, we just heard, and it starts to change our empathy, like relationships are disposable, right? Relationships aren't long-term. The way we bond to people, it starts to literally rewire how we think about relationships. It literally rewires the way we think about love. And, and when our brains transform, so does our behavior. While, while these two hormones would normally be released to bring a man and a woman together closer emotionally and spiritually, and if they're in a marriage, physically, Now what happens is we've completely confused the body and we've confused the mind because what something was designed to bring us closer is actually bringing us farther apart because now we don't understand relationships. Now relationships are disposable. Now we we have confusion over the 18 partners that we have because, you know, everything's all good and it was never said, said to be bad. And we start this downward spiral. We start this downward spiral of sexual sin, unfulfillment, Shame, isolation, and it just keeps going and going. What we basically started to do because vasopressin numbs pain and it's a medication, we basically started to, to self-medicate ourselves through sex outside of marriage, and we just dig ourselves a deeper hole and we get hurt harder and harder. So when we say we should fear physical, I mean, I mean, if I were to come up to you and say, Hey, would you like to have me rewire your brain? You'd be like, No, of course not. That's ridiculous. But that's, that's what's happening here. I mean, if I were to say to you, hey, I'm gonna hit you over the head and it's gonna completely change your brain. I mean, you wouldn't let me do that. That would, that would cause a level of fear in you. And that's why we fear sexual sin. But folks, as bad as that scenario is, I mean, that's the truth. But as bad as that scenario is, there, 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 there's, there's a way out. There's an amazing, great hope. And that's our fourth truth today. And that's that Jesus paid the price to release us from the control of sexual sin. We see that in verses 19 and 20. In there, what Paul writes, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Folks, when we read this, there's basically two reminders and a response in these two verses. The first reminder is that as Christians, we have the Holy Spirit in us. Jesus went to the cross as a perfect substitute for us in order to take on our sin and take on the punishment for that sin. Past, present, and future. And when we say Jesus is Lord and Savior of our lives, when we place our faith in what he accomplished through his death and resurrection, a couple of things happen. The first is we're saved from the punishment of that sin because Jesus has already taken it on for us. The second thing that happens is the spirit literally comes inside of that. We call it an indwelling and it convicts us, it strengthens us, it guides us, it conforms us, it comforts us. And both of those same things happen instantaneously when we, when we proclaim Jesus as our Savior. Now, folks, I told you a little bit ago about this, this one guy from east to west who, who allowed pornography to dominate his life to the point where he was willing to be violated on, on the conditions of his release, and he went back to prison. I'm not making a judgment about his salvation I'm only making an observation about the behaviors that he displayed, the behaviors that he showed, and the fruits that his life bore at the time that I knew him. But if I were to make an observation, it would be that he loved pornography more than he loved freedom. Physical freedom and emotional freedom. Because he had a choice, and he had a lot of help. But what he decided was, this was better. I'd rather have this. He would rather be trapped inside physical walls and physical fences and he would rather be trapped inside emotional walls and emotional fences. That's what he preferred. And why? Because he chose to fight it himself. When the spirit comes in us, we don't have to fight that by ourselves anymore. We got way more help than we could ever imagine in getting through this and getting over this and getting out of this. That should be a huge encouragement for us. I mean, that, that should literally have us going, yeah, all right. I mean, I mean we, had, we had some tough points here when we started out, but this should be the one that goes, all right, now I'm excited. Now there's a way. The right, second reminder is that our salvation and our release from the control of sin is all about what Jesus did and nothing about what we did. When Jesus died on the cross and he rose three days later, he defeated both death and sin. He did all the work we couldn't do ourselves. We just can't. The truth is, if we could have, we would have already done it, and we wouldn't be here right now talking about sexual sin. But our freedom was bought with a huge price at a huge cost. But despite how big that cost is, it's totally paid for. There's nothing left to be done. There's nothing left to be paid. It's done. So that also should cause us amazing joy. That also should make us feel really encouraged, regardless of where we are, regardless of if sexual sin has never been a problem, whether it's a problem in your past or there's something we're still fighting today. That should be an encouragement and it should make us feel good. But those two joys, those two reminders, and the joy that comes from them should also lead us to a response that honors God to follow him obediently, even when it's difficult, even when the world says no, even when it's hard. To flee, and we're going to use that word again because it's appropriate, to flee from sexual sin, whether, again, like I said, continuing to stay away from it or making the changes that we need to make to get away from it. To help others who may be suffering through sexual sin. I use the word suffering on purpose. By being an example who can speak with integrity and credibility, with love and with empathy. And to help walk someone out of that darkness. To use our bodies in a way that honors God. And shows that life following Jesus really is different. And to give glory to him and explain, hey, this is why I'm not signing up for that. This is why I'm not going to live that way. This is why I'm perfectly fine with you calling me any name you want. I'll tell a quick story. I didn't tell this from the first service. So, so about five or six years ago, I was, I was working on a client site, and uh, and there uh, you was know, a bunch of guys. They started talking about this woman's basketball player. You know how you get the woman's ba- NBA? And I, I don't know. They they started talking goofy, and I was just doing my work. And all of a sudden, well, let's look her up online. Okay, well, like they weren't going to check out her statistics. They were going to check her out, Okay. And like moths to a porch light, like five or six guys are all around this monitor, you know? And I'm just kind of doing my work because, well, it's work and I'm getting paid to do work. So one of the guys goes, hey, John, come on over. I was like, dude, I'm good. I'm perfectly good. And, and he, he turns to me, and goes, John, what could possibly be wrong with you coming over here and looking there right now? And I, I stood around and I said, what if it caused me to have an impure thought? Now, if you've never heard total silence, That's the thing to say. (laughs) I mean, I've been in deserts in several parts of the world, miles away from where I thought anybody, I've never heard silence like that, okay? But it does give a glory to God that we're able to say why we're not interested in that, why we're gonna live different. Folks, there's, there's a lot of lies out there. There's a lot of lies to confuse us and to distract us, especially when it comes to sexual sin. It, it's kind of like, you know, we're getting out of this time of year where, you know, in the early morning you get that fog on the road, the low-lying fog, especially close to the rivers, and, you know, you drive this road every day, right? But it's, it's like a thick fog today, and, you know, does, does, the wor- does the road turn now, or does it turn to the left, or does it turn yet? You know, and you're, just, you're not really sure. It's kind of cloudy. you're kind of confused. You know, but, the, but the truth is, when it, when it comes to issues like sexual sin, the, the truth is right there, and it's not hidden. It, it's clear as can be. I, I really pray that this passage and this message is an encouragement and a help to you, no matter where you might be in your walk, whether this is a problem for you or whether this has never been a problem for you, I, I, I pray this is, a, this is helpful for you. If, it, now, if, if, you, if this is a problem for you, We've got four pastors, we've got a bunch of folks here who would be happy to sit down and spend as much time as we need to help walk you out of that and to use the strength of the Spirit that's dwelling in us and dwelling in you when we, when we receive Christ as the Lord and Savior to walk out of this problem. So a matter of fact, in front of you, you've got connection cards in, in the seat back in front of you. If, if you'd like to talk about look, you don't have to write anything detailed. Just say, hey, check the box, I want to talk to a pastor. I want, I want to talk to somebody. We can talk about the details later. You don't have to put it on the card. If this is something that you would like to make a change with, just fill out the card. Or do it online a Pastor Only. Or grab one of us. Because it's it's there. Okay? We're not not locked into this prison like we think we might be. Let's pray. Lord, just thank you for... uh, for your truth, even though when when the subjects are difficult sometimes, Lord, that we could really understand that you do have our best interests at heart, that you want the best for us, and you've laid out exactly how to do that, Lord, and and, and Lord, I just pray that, you know, as as we think on this message this week, as we review our notes, as we kind of pray through it, that that, that you would strengthen and, and guide each one of us to, to become closer to you, that, that this would not be a problem ever again in our lives if it ever has been. And if it is, Lord, we would rely on you and we rely on each other to break out of it. Lord, I, I just thank you for the opportunity to come and worship you today and just ask that you continue to to, to, to to convict us and to strengthen us to become closer to you, I have a desire to be closer to you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray, amen.